0: In the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's
1: Gene Steinberg. Welcome back to the Paracast. We really had a fascinating show last week that has garnered some pretty interesting comments. So just wanted to mention it very quickly. Before we go on, we had Ryan Sprague, one of the active young people who has entered the UFO field and paranormal fields in recent years. And he did just a great job. We hope to have him back in the near future. I know most of you have wondering where Chris O'Brien has been because he's been on the show with less frequency over the past couple of years, partly as a result of illnesses after he gave up smoking, which you got to think, isn't smoking supposed to make you ill? I hope our guests do not smoke, but I won't ask them. But that isn't the issue here. He found that everything he's doing is taking up an increasing amount of time. He started a major fundraiser for a San Luis Valley camera project. And something had to give. And after eight years of being the guest host on the PowerCast, we had to give. And so we are proud to have had Chris making this show greater than ever. And we wish him luck in his new pursuits. He's got a new radio show coming, a much shorter one, meaning less work on his part. And, of course, he'll be continuing his work on the San Luis Valley Camera Project. You can find more information on what Chris is doing, by the way, on his site, OurStrangePlanet.com, which is actually hosted on our server. So we're still pretty close to him. So that is Chris O'Brien, and we appreciate his service to the PowerCast. Kurt Collins is our guest co-host this week. Kurt, what have you been up to, speaking of being up to things?
2: I've got a series of articles on the, my second blog called The Saucers at Time for Guides." So it's examining the legends of Hangar 18 and how that uh, helped create the atmosphere that brought Roswell into the public consciousness. So that's the main thing I've been after. And I still have some things going on at Blue Blurry Lines. BlueBlurryLines.com is his site. And maybe
1: we'll have Kurt doing After the Powercast with us to talk about the saucers. That time forgot. Doctor Irina Scott was on the Paracast last year for a book that she wrote at the time. Okay, she's been a busy bee. This was last July. I bet you were doing so many appearances since then, Irina, that you don't even remember.
3: Of course, I did a number of appearances.
1: Right. This was with Jay Randall Murphy as our guest co-host, who will be back (laughs) next week, by the way, to do a show. And she wrote a book called UFOs Today. 70 Years of Lies, Disinformation, and Government Cover-Up. Since then, before we get to the new book, what have you learned in regard to what you follow? Certainly after that, we had the Pentagon UFO study and everything.
3: Yes, the Pentagon UFO study was, part of it was from the DIA, and I worked for the DIA. And my impression of the DIA was is that I thought they probably knew a lot more than they let anyone know and i was kind of working in a relevant field but they didn't tell us anything about ufo's and so i thought the camera videos and things were very interesting do you think they show
1: enough to give us any clues about ufo's or is it just more stuff about ufo photographs and we see those occasionally
3: i think you'd have to be a trained radar person to really appreciate them and i'm not i just went by what other people said some of them said yeah that's they're really showing something and some of them said no
1: oh okay
3: i had the feel a fair amount of footage though that probably a secret for military airplanes well
1: i don't know myself whether i saw anything there that made a lot of difference to me kirk what do you think
2: this uh, well, this this program has been in pretty interesting, and I think uh, we we have to be careful to separate what may have actually existed from the way things are being promoted. Um, there are a lot of people that are, uh, are cheerleading the the to the stars version of events, and. It's you know it almost happens with every exciting new development that that is kind of oversold. So we we really need to, to vet the information carefully, and and to find out what actually happened and what what of substance was actually produced. I think that's uh, you know we have to be be careful because we have certainly been sold a bill of goods before, and a number of circumstances with with uh, with uh, the sensational taking over.
1: Well, this is always the problem here. There's, I guess, a desperation on the part of some people who follow UFOs that, oh, my God, we've got something great and new here, and therefore, we need to broadcast this far and wide. But then you have to look at the information. And we've had photographs of UFOs for years and years, and it's not as if they're necessarily any better than they were before.
3: A lot of people uh, Photoshop things. (laughs) That's a joke.
2: Yeah, well, in the in the case of the ones we're seeing now, it's uh, infrared images. So it's either the the heat of the object, or in some cases, the reflection for, of a heat from another source. And we're not seeing the in these instances, not the actual objects, just just images. Uh, so it, you know, we have to be careful with that because you know, just uh, the heat signature from from something can be quite different than the actual object.
3: Yes. One thing that that it reminded me of was that I was at Wright-Patterson in one of their very secure buildings in a meeting about UFOs, and the rest of the people were military people with clearances, and I didn't have clearance. I knew the um, archivist there, and he invited me, but in the middle of his meeting, um, somebody said that everything from Project Blue Book was now unclassified, and that the similar data. And somebody stood up and said, but what about the um the airplane uh camera video footage? I mean, he, this was before that came out. And the person suddenly said, I must remind you that there's people in here that don't have a clearance. And that made me a little bit suspicious. I mean the gun camera footage is what I meant to say. But um that sort of made me wonder
2: Well, that's interesting. And when was this?
3: Uh, It was uh, maybe 20 years ago or so. Okay. They had, you know, that type of footage then.
1: Well, I didn't expect that this was anything new. But, see, they treated it, the media, as if, oh, my gosh, golly gee whiz, the government's looking into UFOs. And I thought, Project Blue Book, Project Sign, Project Grudge, how soon they forget.
3: Well, and this probably wasn't the main thrust if you're investigating something. This was done by particular people and not some ultra-top-secret part of the government.
1: Yes, indeed. And I don't know that it brought anything but publicity, but what happens when you have situations like this in the UFO field, as you know, You have a flurry of interest and then maybe there's some follow-ups and there are additional interviews here and there. And then it sort of begins to die off unless there are some new UFO events, sightings or something to keep things going. Well, you know what happens next. It just sort of dies off.
3: Okay. Well, I think the government has um, good footage of UFOs. And that sort of thing, probably. But I don't know how you, I don't think the government discloses when you they say they're disclosing things. I don't think they really are disclosing much.
1: I know we don't mention this enough, but we should. You can comment about any episode of the show or a lot of other issues in our forums. Go to forum.theparacast.com. That's forum.theparacast.com for the world famous Paracast forums where most anything can happen and usually does. And also we give you an opportunity there to ask questions of upcoming guests, but we have a place there called the question bank where you can ask those questions and we try to get many of them in during the regular episode. We've got more to come. Dr. Irina Scott, our guest co-host, Kurt Collins. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great t-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special. in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the PowerCast. You go to store.thepowercast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour.
4: If you or anyone you love has been diagnosed with lung cancer, asbestosis, or mesothelioma, your diagnosis may be the result of job-related exposure to asbestos, and you may be entitled to compensation. Over $30 in trusts have been set aside for individuals who have been affected by asbestos exposure. How do you protect your rights and get the compensation you deserve? Call Capital Legal Group now at 800-400-LUNG. Capital Legal Group is one of the nation's resources for settlement of lung cancer and mesothelioma cases. Law firms have successfully recovered over $2.7 Dollars for their clients in all 50 states and claims have been paid in as little as 60 days if you or a family member were diagnosed with lung cancer asbestosis or mesothelioma call capital legal group now at 800-400-LUNG we'll open a no-cost case review on your behalf a history of tobacco use or cigarette smoking will not disqualify your case visit 800-400-LUNG.com or call 800-400-LUNG call 800-400-5864 now that's 800-400-LUNG
5: If you owe money to the
6: IRS, you need to hear this. The IRS is cracking down on those who owe back taxes. It starts with a devastating letter. And if you don't act immediately, you could find yourself having your wages garnished or have a lien placed on your property. But there's a solution. Tax 10,000 can help. Avoid enforced compliance where these holds on your income and seizure of your home could become a nightmare that just won't end. Call 800-239-9957 now and speak to one of our experts. 800-239-9957 is the number to link you directly to a tax resolution specialist who will negotiate with the IRS on your behalf. Working through the IRS Fresh Start Program, all the forms will be handled for you. All you have to do is make the toll-free call. 800-239-9957. Find out if you qualify and possibly save yourself thousands of dollars not to mention a lot of headaches it could be the best call you've made today that number again 800-239-9957 the service does not provide tax settlement or legal services we will refer you to a company that does provide such services often the irs will not agree to any reduction in the amount owed not all taxpayers who owe more than ten thousand dollars will qualify for a tax reduction program
7: water is the single most important thing your body needs so you want to be sure it's the best for you and your family since 2005 thousands have depended on berkey purified water the berkey guy provides provides the lowest-priced filtration systems in every size. For incredibly delicious water now and in an emergency, get to GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653. 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: Let me remind you that we've got a great second show called After the Paracast last week. Paul Kimball was here, and he was talking about some questions that Ryan Sprague had posed, but also about the fact that there is this emphasis again on the extraterrestrial theory about UFOs, and what about these other possibilities, like the co-creation theory that we talk about every so often? So that was fascinating. And The only way to hear that show was to be a member of the PowerCast Plus. How do you do it? Simple, neighbors. Go to plus.thepowercast.com. Once again, that's plus.thepowercast.com. Now, Doctor Scott has. A brand new book out, and it's published by our old friend Philip Mantle. It's called Inside the Lightning Ball, Scientific Study of Lifelong UFO Experiences. And the thing to bear in mind with regard to this book is that so often when you look at UFO sightings, they are almost always or invariably one-time events. You see a UFO or maybe you see it again but there are people who start seeing UFOs when they're very young and they keep seeing it over the years. Can you give us an idea how you first got interested in this approach?
3: The way I first got interested in it was before I knew anything about UFOs and it was several years before I even heard of them. But my sister and I had um, something happened to us when we were really young. I don't think she was even in school yet, where we were, well, we were on a farm in a rural area. We had one radio, and we weren't really in contact with the outside world much. But um, we were sleeping in, on opposite sides of a room, and we both woke up at the same time. And there was this thing flying around in our room. It was dark, and it looked to me like metal it was small, it was maybe an inch diameter and it was just looking around like a, just like sort of a browsing thing, like a butterfly going from flower to flower or something. It went up and down and around and everything. And we just watched it. I didn't know she was awake, but she knew I was awake. So we weren't influencing each other. And uh, we both saw it separately, even though we weren't talking to each other. and, It was just like uh, an insect or something flying around, but it looked like metal and it looked nothing like a lightning uh, bug. It didn't turn off or on or change in appearance. It just browsed. And even though I was very young at that age, I still knew there was something not right about it because it kind of knew its way around the room. It would come to... um, wall or a piece of furniture and it would turn some distance before it got there and so it seemed to know where things were it didn't bump into anything you know it was flying around the room Um, and up and down and back and forth and things not just a straight line i had seen a lightning ball about a year before that and i didn't have any feeling about the lightning ball like i did about this but after a while of flying around the room it suddenly flew up to the ceiling but it didn't get to the ceiling it stopped before it was at the ceiling and then at kind of a right angle it went along the ceiling and came to our chandelier and the chandelier was turned off and everything but without feeling anything or having any idea where anything was it just very smoothly began to circle the chandelier. And it seemed to speed up a little then. it might have circled about 20 times or so. And then it kind of made a real geometrical spiral right down into the chandelier. Well, suddenly, at the same time again, my sister and I became terrified. And we both ran out of the room shrieking and fell down the stairs and ran to our parents and they didn't believe us but nobody in the family had heard about ufos or lightning balls or anything and we both had the feeling that something wasn't right with this that it wasn't just a mechanical thing or anything like a lightning ball so that was my first experience and it was many 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 years before i thought this might be a ufo at the time when i reported them then i reported to the center for ufo studies and many years later this was in 1984 but some of my family still remembers it so i can document it that it happened way back then and my sister wrote up a report and i wrote up a report but so did my mother and my mother's report was a little different from hers because she said that something came in our window and then she said a little light flew around the room and that it disappeared and then we became scared and ran down the room she heard whatever we said secondhand but she might have being an adult she might have picked up things that we didn't know about because neither of us knew how it got in the room we just woke up at the same time and i wrote i sent that in and wrote it up in the International UFO Reporter and this was because I had seen an article um, in there written by Jenny Randalls I think it was 1988 where she talked about when small children young children see objects in their rooms and she called them like bedroom visitations and that was the first I really thought Maybe this had something to do with UFOs, because otherwise I just had no idea. Our report was kind of odd, because usually something like that just happens to one person. And it's happened to my sister and I together. And then later on, we had adult sightings together, too. And usually, the uh, sighting by a child would be one person. And then if they have adult sightings, it's somebody else. But we both had the same sightings a couple of times. And to mention something that we wondered about was we watched the object for maybe several minutes. But I have no idea how long it was there because it, we both woke up in the room and it was there. And I did some studies of um, lightning balls, and apparently this they can in some cases they can correlate the size of a lightning ball with the time it lasts and things like that. But ours was very small, and according to some of the studies, it should have disappeared real fast.
1: We've got to do our break now. Dr. Irina Scott, and we're focusing here a big portion of the show on her new book where she's writing about sightings that occur over a lifetime. UFO related experiences. It gets more and more fascinating with Kurt Collins as our guest co-host. You're in the Paracast.
11: For USA Radio News, I'm Wendy King. The White House says President Trump could support an immigration bill put forward by moderate House Republicans, a bill that would provide a path to citizenship for so-called dreamers. After the president's earlier statement saying he opposed a moderate immigration bill, the White House walked back his remarks saying he would sign either of the two bills that Republicans are working on. One is a hard-right proposal. The other is a compromise plan drafted by the GOP's conservative and moderate wings. The moderate bill would mandate that children would not be separated from families entering the U.S. illegally. New York Cardinal Timothy Dolan tells our lawmakers to stop arguing and agree on a measure that works.
12: You bet we got some cold laws that need to be enforced in a very prudent, just way. We also need a good dose of the heart.
11: You're listening to USA Radio News. Hi, I'm Wade Allerout.
13: I was one of the biggest critics of Barack Obama in the national media. You may remember from stories at Fox News. Suddenly, I was under massive IRS attack. I interviewed all the top tax lawyers in America and I hired Sam Landis. Sam did an amazing job. The entire IRS was out to destroy me and we won not once, but twice. I didn't know a penny. Thank you, Sam Landis. Many of you have hired non-lawyer tax resolution firms and have spent thousands of dollars getting nowhere. Do yourself a favor. Call Sam Landis and get honest answers about your IRS case free. After your free confidential conversation, you'll be surprised at how affordable it is to hire one of the top tax lawyers in the country. In many cases, It's as little as $500 per month for only a few months. Trust me, Sam Lannis is the best. I'm passionate about this. Sam saved my life. The phone number is simple. 800-WE-HELP-YOU with the letter U. That's toll free. 800-WE-HELP-YOU with the letter U. Trust me, it will be one of the best things you've ever done.
14: 800-WE-HELP-YOU with the letter U. 800-WE-HELP-YOU.
0: Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of A.D. After
15: Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal
1: radio. Before we go on with Irina, Kurt, do you have a question of her?
2: Well, so... Uh we know where you the title of your book where that came from now so that that that's good so the experience that you had um i think it's really interesting because you could tell the same story to uh, a, a ufo investigator and probably uh, a paranormal investigator and they would be equally interested in this and they might uh, have completely conflicting uh conclusions or expectations about what was going on so um and it sounded like you didn't initially think consider this a UFO event until, until finding more about it. So, so how do your feelings about it differ from the initial experience now that you've gained more experience and, and have a, a greater background?
3: Well, I had more feelings about that than I did about anything else. And it really wasn't much of anything. It was just a little light in our room. But I was absolutely terrified. It was maybe the scariest I ever was in my life. And the same for my sister. And we both felt it wasn't something normal. It was many years before we thought this might have to do with UFOs. And before that, we just had no idea what it was. I m- mentioned I had seen a lightning ball when I was really young. And I didn't know what lightning balls were either. But I didn't have any feelings about them. I mean, I just startled and screamed and everything. But there wasn't anything that felt funny about it but this reminded me of something that was alive because it seemed to be able to guide itself and know where it was going and that may be subjective but it certainly didn't bump into anything it got close to walls and things and it went on around them it didn't turn it didn't hit anything and so it seemed odd and it also seemed odd that we both woke up with something in the room because we didn't have anything that woke us up that we knew about. And also we both became terrified at the same time. And we don't know why that was either. We both just shrieked at the same time and ran out of the room. And the object seemed to be powered because it emitted light. It flew around and there weren't, there wasn't any breezes in the room or anything, but it, It flew up and down and around, and then when it went to the ceiling, it flew right up to the ceiling. It made a straight line to the chandelier. It must have known where the chandelier was because it didn't bump into anything. It just started circling very smoothly. And so it didn't seem natural, and it seemed powered, too, especially when it could fly up.
2: Well, looking back on it, do you feel that it was was something mechanical?
3: No, I... Well, I felt that it was, I mean, this may be subjective, but I felt it was guided, so I didn't feel it was natural. I don't know if it was mechanical or what it was, but it just didn't seem natural.
2: The the other experience you had is very rare in and of itself. Not many people see ball lightning, so obviously it was a different event. So, But when, when that happened, was this something that was uh, – uh, I've heard descriptions of them uh, rolling along the, the ground. How how did the, the ball lightning uh, uh, that was outdoors, how did that look?
3: Well, I discovered in thinking about it that I had seen uh, maybe two balls of lightning, and the other one was where I got the title of the book from. But with this one, I was very young, about five years old or so, and Uh, there was a thunderstorm going on, so obviously it was ball lightning. And I looked up at the sky, and about even with the top of the window I was looking through, there was a ball. It was basketball-sized, and it looked kind of like the color of lightning. And I'd never heard of anything like that. And being five years old, I just started screaming and crying and everything. and The grown-ups calmed me down. (laughs) But I didn't have any weird feelings about it.
2: But this other object, this was something that was, you said this was the size of about a basketball now, that the one indoors that you saw that was, you know, obviously something completely different. So was it like something that would have fit in the palm of your hand? How how large was it?
3: The one in our room was pretty small, I'd say about an inch in diameter. Okay. I think it was, I think it was smaller than a normal lightning bolt would have been.
1: You know, when I listen to this, I think of the science fiction movies where they show little space probes from the aliens shooting around rooms and such, or in the woods. Does that give you a sense of similarity there? You know what I'm talking about, right?
3: Well, what gave me a sense of similarity was many years later in 1984 when I had first read about Jenny Randall's book about small children experiencing small UFO-like things in their bedroom and then growing up and seeing uh, larger UFOs later. And we really fit that pattern. So it was sort of interesting. Um, Before that, I, well, I really hadn't thought about maybe this is a UFO. I just thought, I don't know what that is. But I definitely remembered it. I remember the lightning ball, too. And the, um, uh, the title of the book was because I had another experience with a lightning ball, if you'd like to hear that.
1: <laughs> oh, sure. Go ahead.
3: Okay. I found out as I was writing my book that my family had seen an abnormal number of lightning balls and had close sightings. And I didn't know that, and I changed the book as it was practically going to press rewriting but what happened uh, with the Inside the Lightning Ball event was I was in Texas and I was on a, a patio that was elevated and wood. And it was, you could overlook a really old extinct volcanic volcano um, crater. And I was just uh, had my video on and taking pictures, uh, videos, and suddenly lightning struck. And it struck right beside me. I could see the, the lightning. And normally you'd get killed, but I was in a pretty insulated place on the patio. And it was wood, and it was uh, above where it struck. And so anyway, it struck so close that all I could see was a whiteout. And I couldn't hear anything after it hit. It was so loud. But I went in and looked at the video later, and all I saw was a whiteout. And I thought, oh, this is boring. I didn't get the strike room. <laughs> but began reading about lightning, ball lightning. And apparently, if you're real close to lightning, you'll see, you may see a whiteout. And I certainly saw a whiteout. But what was interesting was the camera got the whiteout, too. And when it happened, it seemed to me like the whiteout was just... Kind of like a spear or something around the lightning, but my camera got the white out. And then there was a cell tower about 150 feet away, and it also captured big—I um, don't know if you told them—not sparks, but um, shorts, really big shorts going up the guy wire, and that was some distance away. I didn't see it at all with my eyes, but my camera got it. And so this had been a really powerful lightning strike because that far away, it was shorting up a guy wire and the guy wire was big and thick.
1: I'm listening to the surface of it. And of course, I can't really make a comment about something I haven't seen. But in a way, it kind of strikes me as some kind of electrical phenomenon. And I just want to see if I can understand further why it might have an intelligent connection and we can explore that in ongoing experiences in our next segment. With Gene Steinberg, Kurt Collins, Dr. Irina Scott. And a quick reminder, don't forget, The Paracast Plus. Go to plus.theparacast.com. Once again, that's plus.theparacast.com for complete information. We offer the After the Paracast podcast. We also offer a version of the show free of the network ads. Don't pass it up. Plus.theparacast.com you're
2: in. The Paracast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
1: Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code.
15: We call it the crapper, water closet, outhouse, or bathroom. But where do you go when there's nowhere to go? The answer is the Biffy Bag. The Biffy Bag is a pocket-sized disposable toilet that fits in your glove box, tackle box, toolbox, backpack, or purse. The Biffy Bag has everything you need for a sanitary and comfortable relief experience. It's ready to use in just seconds, and just toss it in the trash when you're done. It's your Biffy in a Jiffy. BiffyBag.com
13: B-I-F-F-Y
15: B-A-G.com
16: Get the ultimate knife at an ultimate price. The Fox Karambit Knife. Finally available in the U.S. The Fox Karambit Knife opens with one hand faster than you can pull a handgun. For utility, for defense, and for way less than other knives of this caliber, go to TheUltimateKnife.com Truly the best knife you will ever own, and only available at TheUltimateKnife.com. Use promo code radio at checkout for free shipping. Get The Ultimate Knife at the ultimate price at TheUltimateKnife.com.
18: How well and how fast does heart and body extract work to improve blood circulation? Listen.
17: My name is Ellis, and I'm 66 years old, and I live in Jacksonville, Florida. Two years ago, I was diagnosed as having clogged arteries. I had 70% blockage in one artery leading to my heart. They wanted me to go on Plavix, but I refused knowing the negative side effects.
18: Heart and Body Extract is a unique balance, synergy, and proportion of herbs reaching from head to toe at maximum absorption around 95% at the cellular level.
17: Within the first month, I felt a dramatic difference. The heaviness in my legs was reduced, and within two months, I felt completely normal.
18: Your natural organic herbal formula for heart health is Heart and Body Extract. Heart and Body Extract comes with a 100% ironclad money-back guarantee. Details at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305 for Heart and Body Extract. Call 866-295-5305, 866-295-5305 for Heart and Body Extract.
15: Want revenge on the common housefly? Well, after 10,000 years, someone has finally come up with a better way. The Bug Assault, a miniaturized shotgun which utilizes ordinary table salt as ammunition. Non-toxic and no batteries required. So much fun, you'll forget you have a wife and kids. $39.95 and free economy shipping. Use discount code GCN and get an extra 10% off your purchase at BugAssault.com. Fire your fly swatter. Get your Bug Assault today.
18: Hey, this is Marie D. Jones, the author of this book is from the future, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: So, Kurt, do you see what I'm talking about in terms of an electrical phenomenon?
2: Well I do and it, it, you know I mentioned earlier I was wondering about you know how a paranormal researcher would would approach this and I have heard things about you know intelligent balls of light and people feeling like they have been uh, communicated with through that so you know I really don't know what to make of it but I just know that this something like this is definitely going to leave an impression on the experiencer and it it's easy to Bring biases into such a situation, you know. I, I just it would be interesting to see a fist fight between the paranormal and, and the the nuts and bolts uh, UFO guys to see, you know, they might want both want to fight over this story.
3: Well, what impressed me was that the two lightning strikes just seemed like lightning, but the one in our room did not seem natural.
2: <laughs> right. So
3: it's something to compare it with.
2: And this one that you photographed, though, do you still have uh, the uh, the images from that?
3: I put it on YouTube, and I said, gave the address of the YouTube in my book, and I also put a picture in the book of um, that I took from the video of the lightning sh- shorting up the guy wire. You could see the mountains in the background and the tower, and it, it was some distance away and on the other side of the tree. But you could see the, um, the shorts going up the guy wire, and they were pretty big shorts. And I put that picture in the book.
2: Well, that, that's something I wanted to ask you about. So the, we, in, your, in your last UFO book, it was more of an overall history. And it, this one, uh, obviously, is more of your own personal experiences. So do you, uh, do you include your... Um, uh, scientific investigations in this as well? yes I do. Can you tell us about uh, some of the, some of those and, and just you know some of the things that well you know in, in general and maybe you know it's something that you discussed in the book but not necessarily
3: uh, yeah my sister and I had another experience years later together again and it was pretty weird it was very long and complex. It was so long and complex that when I published it in the IUR, they put it in two sections. But this was, um, again, we weren't thinking about UFOs. We were both living on the East Coast, and we decided to see the um, New England states. And I was working for the DIA with a lot of clearances and stuff, so I wasn't insane or anything. And she was Working, She was in postgraduate college at Drew uh, Drew University in New Jersey. And so I drove up and picked her up. And we went to Boston. And we got there a little early and drove up Route 3 and later found out that's where the Betty and Barney Hill um, abduction took place. But at the time, we didn't know anything about that. And we didn't know anything about UFOs either. And we were driving out of Boston. And my sister, there was, um, we were on Route 9 going west. And we could look to the south and we could see this funny thing. It looked like it was following the roads. It was just a light blinking off and on. We could see airplanes coming from the east and going over it and landing. There was an airport there. Um, Norwood Municipal Airport, I think it was a small airport, you could see the red lights and the landing lights and everything with planes and this seemed to be lower than the airplanes and my sister started saying that this isn't normal and she started saying maybe this is a UFO and I was thought she just flipped and said oh no it's a helicopter and we argued quite a bit um and we both told each other that we'd seen UFOs before, and that's the first time we'd ever talked about it because our parents didn't approve of us talking about that sort of thing. And so we turned. I turned on the 128, which is the outer belt going south. We could still see it in front of us, and we kept on arguing. And I told it was real obvious because it was very, very white light. It was flying nothing like anything else was flying. But I thought this is so obvious that if it really were a UFO that the police and the newspapers and everything else would be out looking at it. So I thought it couldn't possibly be a UFO. And she was watching it whereas I was driving and seeing a lot more than I did. But she said it would be one place and it would flip and be someplace else just like that, just like it moves so fast you couldn't see it, which I wasn't paying attention to. And so I got on Route 95, and I was going south, and there was a woods on the uh, west side of the road. And as I was driving along, I saw this round thing in the woods. It was like a basketball. Um, It was like a basketball made out of glass, and there was a light inside of it, and it kept going through a spectrum. It would go through a spectrum of all shades of red then all shades of blue, then all shades of red again. And I thought, what on earth is that? And then the inside of our car lit up in green. And I thought, what on earth is going on? And I couldn't figure it out. And I thought it must have come from the uh, ball-shaped thing because I didn't know of any place else it could have come from. But I saw no beam at all anywhere. I saw no green anyplace. The ball of light did not have a green shade, and I didn't understand that at all. But I still didn't think we were looking at UFOs or anything like that. I kept on arguing with my sister. And so we got closer to the object, the big object, and my sister just started screaming at me to stop, stop. And I wouldn't have stopped at all because I thought, you know, it couldn't possibly be anything weird. And so I stopped. And at that time, my sister said that the inside of our car fell up with light again, some kind of strange light. And I didn't see it because I was on the driver's side looking out. But I did see a uh, what looked like a falling star way off in the distance. And then this big thing came over the trees. My sister said she thought it was about 70 feet up, and I don't know how far it was. But we could really see a lot of detail, and it looked sort of football-shaped or cigar-shaped. It had seven big square windows that had really, really bright and very, very white light coming out of them. And at the time, I thought, are these panels or windows? And they look like windows to me. And we live on a – our family farm has a freeway going through it, and it's a blimp route, too. And so we're really familiar with blimps, and with lighted sides and everything. And this wasn't anything like that. And so I decided my sister was right and stopped arguing with her. I had a camera in my car and high-speed 3000 ASA Polaroid film in my trunk. And so it had these seven windows, and then it had um, a very small red light on one end a very small green light on the other didn't blink. And it was going um, perpendicular to our line of sight, not parallel toward us or anything. And so I, would, I thought, oh, this is amazing. I'm going to get a picture of the inside of a UFO. Maybe I'm the only person in the world that will do this. And I was just sort of thrilled, but kind of nervous too. And so I was trying to get the camera loaded with the film in it takes a while with that polaroid because it was an old polaroid you have to clean off its rollers and things like that and everything and so i finally got the film in and i thought at that time the object should have been right there with the windows but what happened was uh, a truck driver drove over and parked right in front of us and came up and started talking to us like we were like it was just, everything was normal And like we were um, just like a truck driver will stop, check on somebody that's stopped by the road or something. But what happened was he asked us what we were doing and there was an airport there and I pointed at it and said, what's that? And I didn't say UFO or anything like that. What was that message?
1: We've got a message too from some of our advertisers and they're aching to talk to us. And You know what happens in radio, when advertisers want to talk to you, you got to listen for a while. But we have another way to deal with that, and we'll talk about it in our next segment. Dr. Irina Scott's with us. The book is inside the lightning ball with Jean and Kurt. You're
2: in the paracast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN.
0: Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit Rockoids.com. That's R O C K
19: O I D S.com. Warning! If you're drowning in debt you can't afford, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to pay it all back, because you don't.
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: I noticed I said that in a very dramatic way. With Gene and Kurt, it sounds like I'm announcing some kind of radio drama, doesn't it?
2: Well, the story's pretty exciting. Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, before we do that, let me tell you about After the Paracast. And we're going to have some fascinating guests coming up in the future. After the Powercast is not just two old people talking shop. It can be pretty fascinating, can be pretty different, part of the Powercast Plus. We also give you the ad-free version of this radio show, which is why we were mentioning the ads on the previous segment. We give you a different version. Without the ads, better quality audio. And it's all for prices starting at just $1.49 a week. And we're expecting those books from... Ryan Sprague, for the lifetime subscriptions for the Paracast Plus. Go to plus.thepowercast.com for more plus.thepowercast.com. Kurt, go
2: ahead. So you left off with the uh, the approach of the, the truck driver, and it, it sounded like he wasn't reacting to the UFOs. So, so what happened
3: next? The windows, they seemed to be blinking on and off in a pattern. And like it, there were seven windows, and the first three would blink on and off. Then all seven would blink on and off. And then the four back ones, and then repeat that pattern. And that was sort of interesting, too. And we were both looking to see if we could see pilots or anything inside. It was just like the walls were glowing. It was just really white. And I thought it would hurt anybody's eyes if they were inside. It was so bright and white. But the truck driver came over like he was... Just the normal truck driver going to check the us or something, and I at first I thought, oh, this is great because I have another witness. But I didn't say UFO to him or anything like that. But he asked what we were looking at, and I pointed it to it, and he rotated around just 180 degrees from where he was, pointed at about the same altitude, his head pointed his head at about that altitude, and said he didn't see anything. And then he rotated right back around and looked at me. And at this time, I suspected that he's pretty weird. But then he did the same thing again. He asked me, what are you looking at? And I again pointed And he again rotated right around to the exact opposite position, pointed his head about the same altitude, and said he didn't see anything. And then he rotated right back around, looked at me. Uh, needless to say I was nervous and then he pointed to his head like the cuckoo sign and went back to his truck but he didn't leave, he just stayed there and kept watching us through his rear view window well by that time I couldn't see the separate windows of the object I think it was so far away it um, they were all merged and my sister said that around the time I was talking to him, that she saw the object um, just, it was one place and then it was someplace else. And I didn't realize that. I just thought it would, it, you know, that maybe I'd talked to him a while and gotten farther away. But I was kind of, I had that Polaroid and it was high-speed film. And I was afraid of getting lens flares or something from the freeway lights. And there was a hill on the other side with a, some trees and so I was going to run up the hill, and my sister objected and said, don't do that or she'll come with me. And I said no because I was I wanted her to protect the car from the truck driver in case he tried to get in our car. We argued for a while, and finally I ran up the hill. And I took pictures of the object, and I was very, very careful. I looked at what I was seeing and aimed the camera at just what I was looking and trying to get blinks, and I got um, one picture. I had to, It was dark, and I had to, It was handheld and everything. And I came. I didn't know what I had until I got back down to the car and looked. At, you had to. The Polaroids um, takes a while, and I had to pull the, the separate uh, prints out, and then you had to rip them off the backing. And then you had to coat them with a preservative. And so I got back, looked at them as best as I could with the kind of dim uh, car light and coded them. And later I had I analyzed the I was working as a photo analyst, as a photo interpreter. Later I analyzed what I had in the photograph, which turned out really weird too. But anyway, then the object went uh it was going toward the, it had been going toward the airport and it got over the airport and it began to circle the airport and it was a very odd circle because it would um, it would start to the south and go north it would blink like like the south of its 180 it might blink from 160 to 140 or something and then from 60 to 30 it would turn its lights on, turn them off, turn it back on. and then when it was exactly north, it would make a semicircle of south. It was so fast you couldn't even see it. I mean I just remember there was a it went and it kept circling like that it, and you know we were both looking at it. We were looking at planes and while it was over at the airport, the planes seemed to be flying along way up they weren't landing or anything. And obviously, if I'd been a UFO investigator, I would have investigated that. But I wasn't very aware of UFOs. and I didn't tie in the lights in the car or anything else. I just didn't know what was going on. And so, anyway, we didn't know what was going on. And we didn't know where the UFO, would, where the object would go. But for some reason, I thought that it was going to turn around and go the opposite direction. And so I wanted to turn my car around. At wherever i could find an intersection on the freeway and so i drove out and as i drove onto the freeway the truck driver followed me and he began to chase and i knew he was chasing me because if i switched lanes or slowed down or speed up he did the same thing his headlights were kind of high compared to a uh, car's and he was beaming them right in my rearview mirror and i was blinded and i slowed down and speeded up and changed lanes and Realized he was chasing me.
1: This sounds like X-Files or something.
3: Well, it was pretty (laughs) scary.
1: It's got to be scary, I'll tell you, yeah. Where did this end up, this chase?
3: Where did it end up was I finally was on the left-hand side, and I decided to very quickly get off at an intersection, even though if somebody was coming from the right-hand side faster, they would have had an accident. My sister couldn't see behind me, and neither could I. And so I swerved off the road, and we both survived, and I went back, and the object was still circling, but after a while, it took off in the opposite direction, so we continued following it back to the outer belt around Boston and started following it. It was going northwest, and the, the road seemed to be either north or west, and so I kept going on different roads to try to follow it, and finally, it was on this really deserted road. It was just like a cart track. It was gravel. had bump had holes all over it and the houses were so far apart you couldn't even see them and it was probably only going about 40 miles an hour but I couldn't keep up with it and I was tearing the car up so I went back home and so anyway we went back to New Jersey then and I didn't know anything about missing time or anything but later Bud Hopkins had asked me to make a timeline and things. And there was a possibility that we had had missing time, although we didn't, we weren't conscious of it. And then some other things, some other weird things happened. So um, should I describe the photograph?
1: Without doubt, go ahead, please.
3: Okay. The photograph didn't turn out like I thought it would because I was watching a one light go and blink on and off. And I got two blinks. And it, it should have just been a smooth streak across the film. But it wasn't undulating.
1: You know what? Let's do our break here and let's continue with this. Let's talk about that photograph and more. I want to get into some of the other things you talk about in the book because it covers a wide range. We've got right. Kirk Collins as our guest co-host. With Gene Steinberg and Dr. Irina Scott, you're in. The Paracast. <laughs> Neighbors, we've made such a deal with HelloFresh, and it means that everyone listening to this show can receive $30 off your first week of deliveries when you go to HelloFresh.com and use the offer code PARACAST30. You know, with HelloFresh, you can choose the delivery day that works best for you. They've got a wide variety of chef-curated recipes. that change weekly. And can you imagine me cooking... Japanese panko chicken. It makes me feel like I'm a chef. It means also that you could actually get your meal cooked in 30 minutes. For busy people, this is perfect. The simple recipes include step-by-step instructions so even I can figure it out. Go to HelloFresh.com. Use the offer code PARACAST30 to get $30 off your first week of deliveries. HelloFresh.com.
20: Hello, this is Dr. Bill Deagle, MD of Nutramedical.com, announcing the breakthrough Red Deer Velvet DR. It delivers the protected building blocks of all organs and tissues, allowing your own stem cells as architects and engineers to regenerate you. Not since fetal life, when aging does not occur, has such an amazing Nutramed been available to help heal you and regenerate you. Anti-aging requires you that you correct mineral, activate it nutraceutical, and jump the gene defects and poor diet you have to deliver the cellular tools for regeneration. You must remove old damaged cells and replace them with your young healthy cells to wind the biological clock to a younger you. Order your Red Deer Velvet DR now at NutriMedical.com 247 or 888-212-8871. That's NutriMedical, N-U-T-R-I, Medical, M-E-D-I-C-A-L.com, or call our order line, 888
16: Homemakers. Groceries by mail, ships free. Try our amazing bacon. It stores in your pantry. No refrigeration required. Our value-added packaging provides a 10-year shelf life and protects the leanest, thickest, center-cut, fully-cooked bacon in America today. Ready to eat right from the pouch or warm and serve. Always price less than grocery for your everyday use. Savory and delicious. Order today at readytoeatbacon.com. Readytoeatbacon.com.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast
1: community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Irina, let's continue with that right now, describing that photo.
3: Okay. Okay. Object looked like it was undulating, but it actually wasn't because it was just a handheld picture. But what was really interesting was, is that I saw one light, and the photograph showed two traces instead of one. You could tell that because of the undulation, and one of them looked like the light I was seeing because it abruptly turned on and off and everything. The other light was invisible to the eye which was pretty weird because I hadn't been able to see it. And it came on gradually and came off gradually. And it, through the undulation you could see it was the same as the, going the same as the one you could see, but it didn't have the same pattern. And so anyway, I concluded that this is, a was invisible. And I called the Polaroid company to find out about it. And they said, you could see, um, that the Polaroid camera will photograph light from like 400 nanometers to whatever. But the lowest the eye can go is like 230 nanometers or something. I forget exactly what. But, but anyway, this, we had seen a light that wasn't, I mean, the fo- the camera photographed a light that wasn't there. I mean, you know, you couldn't see visually. And so the light that, was invisible, it appeared to have come on gradually, reached a brighter point and then gone off gradually, and it didn't come on and off at the same time the other one did when it was blinking, and so I thought it was maybe a a light on a rheostat, but it could have been something like a laser, too, changing frequencies, And, and so I hypothesized that maybe this is a laser, and that maybe UFOs have lighting that is different from that is invisible to people and that would explain a lot about ufos because they could create holograms or volumetric displays or all kinds of things with lasers and make you see things and i speculated on that because i've written scientific papers and speculate but i don't know and then later when i got back to washington dc i had a poltergeist experience and that was very weird too and so anyway i reported them all and i had high security clearances and i was working on a phd level job so there wasn't anything wrong with my brain and my sister saw the same thing and so we just reported it and that's (laughs) what happened
2: well that's interesting when in your career, that it happened because a lot of times, people would tell stories like this, and it would be like something like when they were 18 years old before they had an education. But you, know, you're, you were you were much further along in your career and education than that. And you said that at that time you didn't know anything about UFOs. So I'm guessing this was a turning point that that fired your interest. And so so how did you uh, proceed from there? And did you contact? UFO investigators, what did you do?
3: I didn't do anything because I was working for the DIA in a very high security clearance. And I thought, if I say I saw a UFO, well, I could lose my job for being crazy. But I wrote everything down. I didn't know, you know, if the lights in the car or anything else had anything to do with UFOs at that time. But I wrote like second by second because I intended to report it when I could. And it was many years later. We didn't see each other for five more years, and then we didn't discuss it much because I thought, we'll report this sometime, and we should have independent reports. So we didn't say too much. It was 1984 before we reported it. And so it was investigated by a number of people like Bud Hopkins and Heineck and Leonard Stringfield, and uh, it's been looked at now recently by Kathleen Martin, and a bunch of people who don't have any idea what we were seeing or what was happening.
2: With the investigations, were were you able to find out uh, any of the reports at the same time and place that may have uh, uh, shown other people had experiences?
3: What I found when I finally started investigating that was I found that there was a book written by Walter Webb called the buff ledge report or something. And it turned out that they had, that these witnesses for that, it, uh, he wrote the book later than I wrote this. And the sighting was later and I didn't find out about the book for a long time later after that, but it, their sighting was about three weeks after ours. It was about 160 miles away. It was not too far away. And he had made a big effort to find other sightings. And, of course, I hadn't reported my sighting anyplace, so he wouldn't have been able to find it. But there was a number of similarities between what uh, they reported and what we saw. And it sort of made me understand my sighting a little more because, for one thing, they described this cigar shaped object that emitted these little balls and they were rotating balls of light that changed colors. And that's what I'd seen. And I, you know, I had no idea what it was or what theirs was, but there was something similar So somebody seen something like it. And he said that uh, the people were abducted and went through this strange abduction and their abduction started with, one of these balls of light shining a light on the people before they were abducted. Well, we had lights. (laughs) I had that green light when I went by the little um, ball that lit up the car. And then my sister said that uh, the object had shined a light on us from that. And anyway, I wrote another article about that because there were several other sightings that had some resemblance to we saw um it, that were you know in that same area the buffalo ledge one was in lodge one was in pretty close to us but there was and close in time and space both there was a town of Sh- sharon that we were right beside on the freeway and they had reported a uh, object that was uh, several years before ours But they'd drawn it with windows and everything, just like we saw. And with a light on one end and a light on the other end and a little light on both ends. And also reported these bowls that were um, rotating, looked like they were made out of glass and shining different lights. So that was three instances where he found something similar. And I went through and there were a lot of other similarities, too. And another one with similarities was the um, Betty and Barney Hill case. And that was, they saw an object with um, windows. And uh, Kathleen Marnin and just very recently published uh, their original drawings.
1: You know what? Let's pick up on this in our next segment with Dr. Irena Scott, Gene, and Kurt, you're in the Paracast. <laughs>
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
15: Would it be okay if you had two paychecks instead of one? I'm pharmacist Keith. Dr. Wallach, the dead doctors don't lie I and myself, want to show you how to get an extra paycheck every month, creating an extra income that will last for years to come by joining Dr. Wallach's crusade, spreading his message of better health. To learn more, visit radio.recordedvideo.com. That's radio.recordedvideo.com, radio.recordedvideo.com. Or call 866-257-3105. For a recorded message
7: water is the single most important thing your body needs so you want to be sure it's the best for you and your family since 2005 thousands have depended on berkey purified water the berkey guy provides the lowest priced filtration systems in every size for incredibly delicious water now and in an emergency Get to GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653, 877-886-3653, GoBerkey.com.
11: For USA Radio News, I'm Wendy King. The president's former campaign chairman has spent his first night in jail, Paul Manafort's bail was revoked after the Russia probe special counsel charged him with witness tampering. In a tweet, the president calls the decision to revoke Manafort's bail a tough sentence. In an earlier exchange with reporters, the president said the special counsel's focus on Manafort has been unfair.
21: I mean, I look at uh, some of them where they go back 12 years. Like Manafort has nothing to do with our campaign.
11: Manafort chaired the campaign over a series of pivotal months in the summer of 2016. He was let go after reports surfaced of his lobbying for pro-Russian forces in Ukraine. He currently faces dozens of charges, including financial fraud, money laundering, and false statements. You're listening to USA Radio News.
13: Hi, this is Wayne Allyn Root. I'm a father of four and I worry every day about this dangerous world. There are so many things that could go wrong. Economic collapse, stock market crash, terrorist attack, war with North Korea. There's a lot to worry about when it comes to protecting your income, assets, and your family's future. Thankfully, my good friends at Tangible Investments are your safe haven from the storm. Call now and Tangible Investments will send you absolutely free a one ounce American Silver Eagle along with your guide for investing in precious metals. To so receive your free American Silver Eagle, call toll free 800-780-9000.
21: That's 800-780-9000.
22: This is a warning to all household pests, to all cockroaches, spiders, ants, mice, and rats. If you've made yourself at home in someone else's home, you'd better hope the owners never hear about Terminix. Because Terminex has the know-how and the means to do whatever it takes to remove you from that home. Terminex has 90 years of experience eliminating home invaders. And they make it easy for homeowners to be protected by offering a free pest estimate. By calling 1-800-676-9879. Cockroaches, spiders, ants, mice, rats, and other pests. This is your last chance. With one call, Terminex will remove you from the home you've invaded. If you think you can simply come back later, think again. Terminex will never stop working to keep you out with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Pests. Wherever you are, I will find you. Pests. You've been warned. Homeowners are calling Terminix right now for a free pest estimate. 1 800 676 9879. 1 800 676 9879. 30 day money back guarantee at participating locations. Limitations apply. See plan for details.
16: This is Robert Hastings, author of UFOs and Nukes, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: So, here, as you describe the connection with Kathleen and these experiences, do you think that you were abducted?
3: I don't know because, like, Bud Hopkins tried to hypnotize me, and I tried with several other people. And I don't even very, very slightly go into a trance. My sister and I don't remember any abductions. According to other people who can be abducted and not know. We might have had uh, missing time, but I don't know how you approach it because there's no memory of an abduction or anything that I know of.
1: You see, I have a kind of a crazy theory, which I've mentioned. I don't want to just sell my own theories because they've heard them, the audience. And that is here, is that If E.T. is abducting us and they didn't want us to remember it, we would not remember it and certainly hypnotic regression wouldn't recall it. It would simply be hidden. Mm -hmm. But if we remember something, there's a reason. Or maybe that's the screen memory, not the owl or something or the eyes, but the experience is shielding us from something else that happened. Just a thought.
3: I speculated on that because... With this Boston uh, sighting, well, two days later, before I got up and went to my job, which I was pretty nervous about then, that I had this poltergeist experience too, like something in my room, and with me going to sleep when I was terrified and different things. And I speculate in the book that maybe these are components of one thing the UFO and the poltergeist, and maybe the connected some way but I don't know how or why or anything like that but I just thought that when they're that close in time and they're both weird that maybe something more complicated than either one was going on and that they were just components or ways to experience whatever was happening so I speculated on the same thing you, you said.
2: That's interesting because sometimes people have experiences a series of experiences or there's a part of an experience that they feel is too weird to share. And, and sometimes it is shared and the investigator thinks it's too weird to publish and it gets left out. So, you know, it's, it's good that you documented everything and not that doesn't mean we can necessarily ever make sense of it. But, you know, it, it's good to have that recorded. And as, as far as this poltergeist, so was this there's just there a the typical thing of a like an invisible intruder moving, moving things around.
3: Well, that day I was supposed to take the co-workers that had gone up to New York with me. I was supposed to take them back, and I waited for a long time, and they didn't show up. The next day they were really mad at me and said they couldn't get a hold of me. Well, they had talked to my sister, and I'd taken pictures of them, and they'd been by the door. I have no idea why they couldn't get a hold of me. But that night, before I went to sleep, I started hearing like noises like somebody's walking in my room. And I would try to if they were close i'd try to grab it or go to the same place and it would just disappear then my alarm went off and i thought it was morning i thought i would you know get ready for work and i started i realized it was dark and it was like 1 30 and i was terrified but i went to sleep and then it the alarm went off at uh 2 30 3 30 and each time i went back to sleep and I can't imagine that I was turning the alarm on because I'd have to turn a 100 watt light on. And then the knob on the alarm was broken off and I usually use pliers to turn it. And I kept turning it back very approximately to the right time, but it was set right on one 2:30, and 3:30, And so that was something pretty weird. And then I was scared to death that I'd just gone insane because I didn't Know much about poltergeists or UFOs or anything else, and I had security clearances, and I was afraid I was going to get—if I was insane, I was going to go to work and get fired. And so I was trying to figure out how to disguise insanity at work and things like that. You know what
1: occurs to me when you talk about that concern—certainly concerns about work—if you're having weird things happen to you. Have you had a chance to hear any stories from any of your coworkers over the years who had similar experiences?
3: I, I, of course, didn't go in and mention that I'd seen a UFO, but I did mention that I just brought up the subject of UFOs for some reason. And our work was we were looking over area of the Earth. We were looking down from satellites, and we were supposed to identify any flying object in the area. So this could have been something that related to UFOs. And the people I worked with, I expected them to laugh at me if I brought up the subject, but they said that before I had gone into the section, which wasn't very long before before the sighting, that they had reported a UFO to their higher-ups on the photography, and that they got this really weird reaction from the higher-ups of saying they didn't see it. And it was obvious, very obvious <laughs> it was on the photography because it was on two different missions. And there's no way – they the higher-ups said it was a spot on the film. There's no way it could have been a spot on the film. So they had, you know, sort of an experience, too. <laughs> Not like this, but trying to report a UFO when we were supposedly working on identifying all the airplanes or aircraft in a particular area. So that was weird. I further investigated the green light in the car because as I was driving toward and seeing a small thing on the ground, the inside of the car lit up in green, and I couldn't understand that because I didn't see a beam shining into the car. There were other cars. I didn't. It seems like I would have noticed if the inside of the other cars turned green, and so I thought there was something maybe specific about the inside of our car turning green. But I couldn't figure out any reason why it turned green because I couldn't see any green lights. And I asked a, profi- a physics professor about that, and he gave me a very generalized answer about that the metal of the car might be affected by an electrical discharge. He mentioned St. Elmo's fire, and the electric an electric discharge might excite oxygen atoms that gives rise to a green light when they is the electrons change orbit. And so I did some research on that. And the green color would be due to ionized oxygen. And it's been reported in Northern Lights and different things like that. And it's from a 557.7 nanometer emission from uh, neutral oxygen And so I looked at what that uh, emission looked like, and it looked like the same color I saw. And so there might have been some kind of a laser or something turned on the car that I couldn't see that might have been electrical some way and caused the um, inside of the car to light up in green. But I couldn't figure out too much else. But that, uh, just like from the photograph, it looked like there was another light on the object. And when we went, I went by the object on the ground twice, and both times the inside of the car lit up in green. Then the very last time when I was coming back from Boston, there was no object on the ground. We couldn't see the object in the sky. And the light inside of the car didn't turn green. So I thought maybe this had something to do with a laser, too. Or, you know, that we were experiencing some kind of a force instead of a um, light shining in the car. And I had done some um, research on that to uh, look and see if there was anything in common. And there's been a number of sightings where the that associate UFOs with a green light.
1: Let's do the green light thing and give it me- a green light in our next segment. That's a bad segue. We're to come with Irina, Jean, Kurt. You're in
2: the Paracast.
8: You are listening to GCN.
15: Want revenge on the common housefly? Well, after 10,000 years, someone has finally come up with a better way. The Bug Assault, a miniaturized shotgun, which utilizes ordinary table salt as ammunition. Non-toxic and no batteries required. So much fun, you'll forget you have a wife and kids. $39.95 and free economy shipping. Use discount code GCN and get an extra 10% off your purchase at BugAssault.com. Fire your fly swatter. Get your Bug Assault today.
18: Heart-related health problems affect millions of people each year. Maybe you're one of the many who suffer from issues related to angina pain, high blood pressure, congestive heart failure, unbalanced cholesterol, irregular heartbeat, or clogged arteries. There is a solution that doesn't involve expensive prescription drugs that only mask the problem and leave you with horrible side effects. If you are ready to live your life free of sickness, pain, and fear, live your life with increased vitality, energy, and youthfulness, and experience your body healing itself. Then you're ready for Heart and Body Extract from Healthy Hearts Club. Here is what one satisfied customer had to say about Heart and Body Extract regarding his angina pain. I
13: haven't had an angina pain since I've been on it. The Heart and Body Extract is just so great. I thank God that I was led to this product that's doing so much for me and that can do so much for other people. Call
18: to order your two-month supply of Heart and Body Extract today. Call 1-866-295-5305 or go to HBExtract.com.
5: This is Jacques and You're listening to the podcast, The Gold Standard of Paranormal Radio.
1: Irina Scott is very gracious. You know why? She didn't say anything about my green light pun. <laughs> I
3: liked
2: that. it. did. Is that okay? We allow no, that. Don't encourage him. No, no, don't encourage him. <laughs> oh. You see I,
1: how even-handed I am. He can talk about me, and I still allow him on the show because he's nice. I bring it out of him. Irina, you were talking about the green thing. Let's go on.
3: Okay. I was looking for other instances of green lights because I was mystified by this green light. And in one case, had been the coin helicopter sighting in 1973 over Ohio. Do you remember anything about that?
2: That's a famous one. I'm sure a lot of people will need a, a brief recap, though.
3: This is a real good sighting It was investigated by a lot of people. These helicopter pilots were flying north. I think they were going to Cleveland, and they saw an object as they were flying north, and they didn't think too much about it. But then the object came real close to them, and like it was right over top of them. They're cockpit turned green on the inside they had this event where they were almost they the thing had come toward them and they crash dived to not get into a collision but then they discovered later that the helicopter somehow rose in altitude a whole lot while the thing was above them it's what they reported was a shiny green light into their cockpit and they had a lot of things that kind of were unusual, such as having a compass spin and the helicopter went up if they didn't realize it. And they had some electrical effects, too. And while the green light was shining on, them. and also there were people on the ground that watched this. And they said the whole area around the, uh, the ground lit up in green when the object shone the green light down. So it must have been a very powerful light that it, it not only lit up the inside of the helicopter, but it also lit up the ground and fairly brightly. And then it went on and they felt a bump when it left and everything. And that's a very well known. UFO sighting because it was military, four people in helicopter, and they were they had been in radio contact, but while the object was there, they couldn't use their radio, and so I was interested in the green light. I asked a electrician about the compass, and he said that back in those days, he he had his brother. That, flew an airplane, and he said you could get the compass to spin if you just went over high-tension wires or anything else. So I do not know if that was anything too unusual or had anything to do with the green light. But another interesting thing was is that the CIA, or let me see, Surgeon General's office, contacted Mr. Coyne, the pilot, And ask him if he had any weird dreams. And he did have some. And then um, they asked another crew member. And he had weird dreams too. And that was like they were investigating an abduction. And this whole event just happened in just a few seconds. I mean, they saw the object and they thought it had windows. And the green light shone down. But it was like the military was investigating them as if they thought there was some kind of an abduction and that was kind of interesting. Um, And also the green light was kind of like a tractor beam because suddenly their helicopter rose, shot up toward the object and they didn't even know it. And so I wondered about that and about abduction because we had a green light. I don't know. And there were a number of cases of green lights another one was a soviet aero float um airliner flying over Minsk, and the ufo shot a this is a famous sighting too the ufo shot a blob-like body that cast a greenish tint over the landscape there's another message there and they projected one of the beams into the cabin of the airplane and the people saw different colors and fiery zigzags. And then the beams that they were shining changed shape to look like the plane. And again, I wondered in that case, could that have been done by um, laser to make either a hologram or a, um, volumetric display image. And then another one was this um the there was a policeman in, I think it was Nebraska, that reported an abduction. And in this case he was driving along, he saw UFO, and then he went back to his uh, station. And checked the time.
2: This sounds like the Herb Schirmer case.
3: Well, that's. I was trying to think of his name. I'm sorry. Yeah, that one. And checked his time and discovered he had missing time. And then uh, Leo Sprinkle hypnotized him. And he reported an induction where the UFO had shined a green light on him. And it seemed to be sort of a tractor beam again that pulled his car and then he got out and was inside the ufo and one thing interesting reported was that there were these little ufos inside the big ufo and so anyway that i found other places where mysterious green lights had appeared and i thought it was kind of interesting that and that it might um relate to possibly lasers or something which i thought I had, might have photographed,
2: and, and you discuss this this aspect in, in your new book. Uh huh. We had a, a question from a uh, from a listener about uh, about the book, and it was kind of a challenging one. But it, it you know so far you've mainly t- talked about your experiences. But a uh, member former member uh, pig farmer uh, asks, "I've been disappointed by UFO paranormal books in the past." And very often they're just collections of the same old stories and debate over the uh, debate over them rehashed to some degree. Uh, what is different about your book and why would it interest me? So, so he's got a kind of a challenging question for you. So um, it sounds like one aspect of it is that you're dealing with uh, you, you have a scientific background and there's your personal experiences. So uh, what else does he need to know about your book?
3: Well, the main thing that's used to invalidate the whole UFO phenomena is when they say scientists don't see UFOs, and there's no uh, that the peer-reviewed scientific literature doesn't encompass UFO reports. Well, in this case, I tried to invalidate or er, that whole idea because scientists do see UFOs. And I mentioned a number of instances. Uh, for instance, they've given um, they studied uh, made surveys. and like Dr. Heinek made a survey of the American Astronomical Society, and he said, yes, uh, astronomers see UFOs. and Peter Sturik made a similar survey. and a Russian, Investigator made a big survey and said that astronomers see more, a lot more UFOs than regular people, and they hypothesized that this is because they're looking at the stars. But the thing is, they don't admit it, so nobody, people think, oh, not scientists never see UFOs, and so I was recording mine. I have a scientific background and was a professor in different things and PhD, and so. I thought, uh, you know, reporting it was something that scientists ought to do, and I. But um, also another, I keep hearing by echo, another reason they attack UFOs is to say that there's no UFO um, reports in the peer-reviewed scientific literature. We got so more to come. We'll
1: clarify all that too. And our next segment with Dr. Irina Scott and Gene and Kurt, you're in the Paracast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit gcnlive.com today.
1: You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Jane Steinberg.
1: So we have the final third of our show with Dr. Irina Scott, and once again, her book, Published by our friend Philip Mantle, is Inside the Lightning Ball Scientific Study of Lifelong UFO Experiences by Dr. Irina McCammon Scott, PhD. Irina, go ahead, please.
3: So I re- submitted UFO material to five scientific journals that were regular journals, that, you know, the normal journals, and got five of them accepted. And so there's definitely UFO material accepted by the peer-reviewed scientific literature. So both of those ideas are incorrect, and I was trying to mention that. One idea behind my book was to try to invalidate that idea that science doesn't accept UFO work. And there's been good studies of UFO work that um, have been done that people don't know about. And so I don't think that the argument that this is unacceptable, unacceptable to science is a valid argument.
2: Before we move too far from the point, that uh, relates to the, another question we had, and that was from your Kahnik. And he, wanted to, he said that in, in the publisher's description of your book, Inside the Lightning Ball, it says, Uniquely credible, it may be the only book having portions accepted into peer-reviewed scientific literature. So uh, he wanted clarification on that, and, and you, you've begun with that. And so, can you give us uh, an example or, or two of of, of uh, what, what sort of study you included and, and where it was published?
3: Yeah, I looked at that, and I went. I looked, used the find button to go through my book, and I didn't actually say that in the book. And what I meant was, it was the, it it applied only to UFOs, not to the whole world of literature. And um, I had five things accepted by scientific journals. One of them was a survey. There had been a publicized UFO sighting in the newspaper and I surveyed people, another person and I asking if they asking people in that area where they'd seen UFOs. And so it was more acceptable for them to talk about it because it had just been a newspaper. And I found a new, a lot more than usually reported, people saying, Yeah, they'd seen UFOs. I mean they thought what they thought were UFOs, and that they knew people that had seen them. Then in two of the publications i wrote about the appearance of UFOs and one of them was a picture that i took in massachusetts and i submitted that to a scientific society and it was published and then i had seen another one with a whole lot of witnesses over the ohio state campus and it was quite a long sighting and i had reports from you know phds uh, very qualified people about it. And they, they filled out reports and they also drew pictures. And so I submitted that and it was acceptable. Then I have one about a sound. that was heard over about a fourth of the United States. It was in 1973 when there was a big flap and there was just this big sound that was heard over an enormous area and some people said, "Oh, that's a jet plane um, contrail or sonic boom or whatever," but it was much larger. And I made a study of that. I was debunked by somebody that I mean, I reported in both the scientific literature and the MUFON journal, and my MUFON journal articles debunked at, with the person saying this is a jet, but it was much wider than a jet contrail because I looked into the size of jet contrails. And the person that attacked me had drawn a diagram of what uh, he claimed was the uh, sonic boom of this jet. And <laughs> his diagram wasn't even close to where the jet was. And I, um, So I wrote a debunking article to his debunking article. And another, the last one was a statistical study where... It, there used to I don't know if star there used to be waves of UFO sightings some years there'd be a whole lot and other years there wouldn't be many and I studied that statistically with other wave phenomena and I got a positive relationship statistically with um, sunset, sunspot cycles which seemed interesting it was um, just a certain number of years and you know, made you wonder if there wasn't, if there might be something electrical associated with UFOs, or maybe people see more the northern lights and mistake them for UFOs or things like that. I couldn't really explain it, but I did get a positive correlation, and so all five of those were in scientific journals.
2: Well, that's that's I, I'd like to see more of that uh, being published, and I wanted to, to go back to something you mentioned earlier about how when you're working for the DIA that you weren't uh, comfortable in discussing UFOs because you thought uh, you could possibly be fired over that. And, you know, you discussed the fact that scientists do see UFOs, but I think a lot of them, they might not have the same security concerns that that you had, but they're worried about their reputation. And uh, you may remember years ago, Dr. Peter Rank, a radiologist, had written a, an article in the MUFON journal, and the title I've forgotten. But his his basic premise was that for UFO witnesses, we should adopt a, uh, a model that was more like the medical model that, where you can discuss a case, but you don't disclose the patient's identity. And he was thinking that's what we should do with UFO witnesses. And I thought there's some merit to that idea because sometimes – that eliminates the you know like the crackpots who are out for publicity if if their name's unknown well then that robs them of the reward uh, of hoaxing something and for for the people who like well just any number of witnesses who've been received unwanted attention you know this saves them the burden of that and the case can just be investigated so I wanted to know your thoughts on that but along with that there would need to be some safeguards you know like when uh, the newspaper has an anonymous witness, you know, the reporter and the editor and maybe another party know and shared the identity and protect it. So how, how do we make sure that a ufologist isn't inventing a witness? So, so what do you think about those ideas?
3: Well, I was suggesting that science very well can study UFOs. And I think the best study ever done was by Batelle Memorial Institute, where they examined uh, the Project Blue Book reports scientifically, and um, they found several things that, in a way, proved that UFO phenomena is totally different from prosaic, you know, airplanes and everything. It was called, um, I think, it was called a special report. Project Blue Book Special Report 14, and it was analyzed by uh, Bruce McAbee. And um, in this case, they actually actually studied the reports, and they had a whole lot, like over 7,000, and they took out the good reports from Project Blue Book. And even though they're saying, saying, well, nothing um, exists, well, they did find positive scientific results, and one of the things they were studying was what was the idea that um, UFOs result from not having enough information from um, that there they're mis- they're, uh, there just isn't enough information to real lack of information.
1: Well, you know, one thing to uh, lack of information is an excuse to say a case has been explained. But this was a very, very common trick employed by the Air Force in the early days, and certainly a way to avoid the facts. We got more to come. With Irina, Jean, Kurt, you're in the Paracast.
24: That's why you need your own plan for self-reliance. That's where My Patriot Supply comes in.
13: ProPure gravity water filters, most tested, most trusted. The Pro1 G2.0 filter by ProPure fits most gravity systems and is so easy to set up and use. No priming required. Independent lab tested to NSF standards. Removes up to 200 plus contaminants with Pro1 G2.0 full spectrum filter technology. ProPure water filters, when you don't know what's in your water. Start enjoying great tasting water today. Visit an authorized ProPure dealer or ProPureUSA.com.
25: Says there's no reason why we shouldn't live to be at least a hundred, and have a great time getting there. Want revenge on the common housefly?
15: Well, after 10,000 years, someone has finally come up with a better way. The Bug Assault, a miniaturized shotgun which utilizes ordinary table salt as ammunition. Non-toxic and no batteries required. So much fun, you'll forget you have a wife and kids. $39.95 and free economy shipping. Use discount code GCN and get an extra 10% off your purchase at BugAssault.com. Fire your fly swatter. Get your Bug Assault today.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: You're in the Paracast indeed. Dr. Irina Scott's joining us, and we're talking about her latest book, Inside the Lightning Ball, Scientific Study of Lifelong UFO Experiencers. And we're looking at the scientific investigation of UFOs. I want to move away from some of what we've been talking about, mostly because we have three segments left, and I don't want to run out of time before we cover everything. Do I take it here, Irina, that you pretty much go with the possibility that UFOs are extraterrestrial visitors?
3: No, I go with the idea that they may be... uh different things uh maybe some of them are uh spacecraft, maybe some of them are something that nobody understands at all. Maybe some of them are black matter or black energy or something like that that they've been they've hypothesized that black matter might that life may be formed from black matter. What
1: do you mean by black matter?
3: well I'm, I think I'm using <laughs> the wrong word. Uh, black energy or whatever that the universe is expanding and some say that this is due to black matter or black energy pushing it apart and things like that I think I'm using the wrong word though, that um, there's this black force that it is like matter but it's something that we don't understand anything about but anyway, I just think that maybe UFOs instead of being one particular thing when somebody makes a observation it may be uh, something from several groups of things and like you were talking about um, the psychic ex- aspects and how a UFO if you see an um, object in the sky like a ball or something. You might say it's a UFO, but just as well you could say, well, this is a um, orb or a poltergeist or something. And it would be hard to say exactly how you can tell the difference. So it might be something like that. It might be aliens. It might be something from Earth. It might be time travelers and just a whole group of things.
1: So there is not one UFO, there may be many. Yeah. All right.
3: And they'd probably characteristics too. If anybody studied them that much detail. Obviously some of them are misidentifications too.
1: Do you think we'll ever get a final answer with all this? Because we've gone through all these years and I've been complaining for too many years that we've haven't made enough progress in this field and we still have these open possibilities. So do you think science is finally going to get a handle on it, or are we going to sit here from the old age home a few years from now saying, when is this going to be
3: solved? Uh, well, I don't think there's good scientific studies. And another idea behind my book was, I think you can do scientific studies of UFOs, but instead... People seem to think they're spiritual or something like that. And I don't think you need a theory of what they are. I think you just need to look at the data and do a study and compare like, you know, tell did of, of unidentified objects compared to identified late objects that are identified later and that sort of thing. And you can get information whether you're even if you don't really have a theory of what UFOs are or any uh, hard data like a landing on the White House lawn or anything like that, you can still explore it. So I, I don't think there's too many studies being going on. And that's why I, I spent a lot of time in my book talking about science and UFOs and how you can study things that you don't have hard data on. Um, so I think they could be studied, and I think people could get farther along. But if, there are, if some of them are life form, it might be very, very complicated and hard to do.
20: All
1: right, so you're talking about living UFOs.
3: Well, I, some of them might be.
1: There was a TV show, cult TV show called Farscape, where all the spaceships, Leviathans, I think they call them, were living creatures, although they look like spaceships, but you could actually talk to them. Maybe Kurt, did you do you remember the show?
2: Barely i I've seen seen programs like that where there's sometimes there's even like some sort of mechanical life going on. but you know that that does remind me of the Kenneth Arnold, the famous pioneer in UFOs, his he had some additional sightings, and one in nineteen fifty two led him to believe that UFOs were living creatures. He he compared it to something like a jellyfish and it could 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 sort of move through the air and change its density and he thought, you know, maybe even become invisible. So he he felt that they were intelligent and alive, at least some of them. For the
1: sake of trivia, Farscape featured not just human actors and adequate special effects, but also muppets and I think it was co-produced by one of the Henson companies or something. Farscape. You can probably find some streaming service still carrying the shows. Reminds me of Trevor James Constable. They Live in the Sky was the book he wrote. At least one of them.
3: Maybe some part of the phenomena is that. Well,
1: it certainly doesn't seem to be one size fits all, which I guess makes things more and more complicated mm-hmm. and like that. So that's difficult. Back to abductions very briefly. Do you think abductions are encounters with extraterrestrials or something else?
3: Well, they're easily interpreted as encounters with uh, E.T., uh, especially where people report that they see beings, and a lot of people report that they see small gray beings, and things like that. And I don't really have any idea actually because I think that the phenomena might be able to make people see things and you mentioned screen memories and I was also considering my own data that I thought they had lights that you can't see possibly lasers and you can form images with lasers and so a lot of times they'll say they'll see these like red balls that turn into a creature or turn into Bigfoot or something like that. Well, you could do that with lasers actually if you had um, uh, very advanced technology. And so I don't know whether they're images or something that's put into people's brains. Not that I don't mean people are crazy and imagine things, I just meant. That there might be ways to put different ideas in people's minds, and that the pho- phenomenon might be able to do that too.
2: There been a number of people suggest that that some UFO experiences almost seem like it's a performance on the the part of the UFO or the entity behind it.
1: Let's continue. That's an interesting idea. With Kurt Collins, Gene Steinberg, our special guest. Dr. Irina Scott, you're in the
2: Paracast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
11: For USA Radio News, I'm Wendy King. The president's former campaign chairman has spent his first night in jail. Paul Manafort's bail was revoked after the Russia probe special counsel charged him with witness tampering. In a tweet, the president calls the decision to revoke Manafort's bail a tough sentence. In an earlier exchange with reporters, the president said the special counsel's focus on Manafort has been unfair.
21: I mean, I look at uh, some of them where they go back 12 years. Like Manafort has nothing to do with our campaign.
11: Manafort chaired the campaign over a series of pivotal months in the summer of 2016. He was let go after reports surfaced of his lobbying for pro-Russian forces in Ukraine. He currently faces dozens of charges, including financial fraud, money laundering, and false statements. You're listening to USA Radio News.
13: Hi, this is Wayne Allyn Root. I'm a father of four, and I worry every day about this dangerous world. There are so many things that could go wrong. Economic collapse, stock market crash, terrorist attack, war with North Korea. There's a lot to worry about when it comes to protecting your income, assets, and your family's future. Thankfully, my good friends at Tangible Investments are your safe haven from the storm. Call now, and Tangible Investments will send you absolutely free a one-ounce American Silver Eagle, along with your guide for investing in precious metals. To so receive your free American Silver Eagle, call toll-free 800-780-9000. That's
21: 800-780-9000.
5: this is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast.
2: So the UFOs are performance artists, are they not, Curtis Collins? That's question's been raised by a number of people. Of course, uh, Jacques Vallée has suggested that, and, and there have been some people who even described the, uh, the events in the Rendlesham Forest as it was almost as if it was waiting for an audience to put on a show. So, there have been other encounters that things that have happened that are so strange, and, and you know, why does uh, why do so many things happen over highways, and there, there's all this deserted land but between them? Why does the uh, why does a UFO gravitate towards where a, a witness is going to see it?
1: Well, you see, maybe what's happening here is this is a team of extraterrestrial performance artists, and they're learning their craft by acting before primitive earthlings.
3: Well, that's my 100% theory. No, I tried to discuss that in my book some, that, yeah, it appears that in a lot of cases, they're kind of putting on a performance. And like Dr. Harley Rutledge, he did a really good study of setting up stations during the 1973 flap where scientists observed UFOs in real time. And he said that maybe they have a sense of humor. And in a number of other cases, like the uh, Buff Lodge by Walter Webb, it it looked like they were putting on a performance and a number of people have also been it's, like it's stalking
1: them. The question I have: Do they have an alien version of the Tonys or the Oscars <laughs> or
2: the Emmys? See, that's that's a mistake that we always make: is is thinking that that they are relatable to us in any way. You know, so if there is this awesome intelligence. They may be unrelatable, and that that's kind of the frightening part of it, that, that we're just incapable of understanding it.
3: Yeah, and I was also mentioning that they may be in contact with people, but not your conscious mind. They may be in contact with some other part of your mind, and you just have a few uh, points of knowledge of this consciously, which is a creepy thought. It may be something subliminal.
2: So so you've been publishing some scientific journals. I kind of want to ask you about relationship with other scientists. So when when you talk to a another a, a mainstream scientist and, and they're willing to consider UFOs, is something like abductions or this the paranormal side, you know, are, are there some things that they just don't want to address, even if they are willing to consider UFOs?
3: I think that it depends on the person. Of course, some people, like the Harley Rutledge I was talking about, he was a PhD in physics and a professor. Well, he said he saw 160 different. He had 160 different sightings, and in that case, they were scientific sightings because he had stations that were people where there would be several witnesses following UFOs in real time. And he said he thought it was something subliminal, that there was some kind of communication going on between the UFOs and the people, that sometimes if people shine a flashlight on a UFO or pointed at them, that they would respond. And so he thought there was, I I forget what he called it. Um, Anyway, I was thinking interaction or something, that there was some kind of response in the UFOs, when the people did particular things. And this is a very scientific study, project identification.
1: In putting this book together, I like to ask authors this every so often. Did something come across in your research that totally, totally knocked you out, something that you'd never expected to discover?
3: The thing that I kind of wondered about that sort of knocked me out was is that there may be some Subliminal component to UFOs where there's something interacting with your mind, but you're not conscious of it. And I think that's the same thing that Harley Rutledge had said, that there's something that you just aren't conscious of that's going on somewhere in your brain. That pretty scary. I mean, for example, my two of my first sightings when I was a kid was I woke up and undergoing a close encounter well that seemed really funny and in one case my sister was there so we both saw the same thing but it's hard to explain why you would just wake up and there was a ufo in your room or object you wonder if there's more going on
1: well i certainly don't wonder here about this phenomenon because very little surprises me anymore after all these years and there's one thing here that you mentioned the chapter. I guess we haven't pushed it pretty much. Chapter 8, behavior, possible psychic phenomena, dreams, mind control, stuff like that. Where do we see mind control?
3: Well, for example, when my sister and I woke up, something was in our room. We had no idea why we woke up or what was going on or why that happened. But... um Not only did we wake up with something in our room, but we both became terrified at exactly the same time for no reason at all. And I wondered if something was controlling our emotions when that happened. If it just happened to me, I wouldn't, I'd still wonder why I woke up and we both got scared at the same time, just like maybe something was controlling us.
1: And you had no resistance. You couldn't just fight back. Say, leave me the heck alone.
3: We were terrified. We just ran out of the room as fast as we could get out of the room. I didn't have any resistance. I didn't know. You know, I still don't know why we're so terrified, but we certainly were. And then, in our later sightings, we weren't scared, and it seemed like we should have been scared too. And in the poltergeist thing, I was terrified, but I went to sleep, and you know, several times, and that seemed really weird, like maybe something was controlling my mind which I wouldn't want to happen but <laughs> so I had some questions about that
1: well you know it's just interesting here as we watch the UFO field how you're covering all the stuff that people don't talk about <laughs> do you find that in looking at people who have had life times of experience that it they remember the one experience and they don't think about the others until someone actually thinks to ask them. I mean, that's a bugaboo I've had about MUFON to be frank. I think they don't look into the family histories as much as they should.
3: Well, that's one thing uh, I think Bud Hopkins was studying. uh, Well, my sister and I had sightings together. Her kids had some sightings and he was sort of studying family things and Kathleen Martin has, I think she's published several things that, about how um, sightings kind of run in families, that if a person had, had a sighting, that a family member may have had one too. I think Jacobs, Dr. Jacobs, also wrote about that, about uh, family members experiencing sightings in um, also besides just the cider, somebody wrote about how if you had sightings it's a possibility your children will have sightings that there may be some kind of hereditary component something like that and i was kind of wondering because with all the new genetics that they can do like the dna tests and things like that if people had enough information and family information and family histories and With all the DNA tests they have now and with people that know about their genetics and family history, there might be some way to set up a scientific study to see if people that have sightings in their family have some particular DNA uh, strand or maybe are even related to other people that are having the same thing.
1: Just thought of something, but it's also near the end of the segment. So whatever that something is whatever that something is about, we're going to take a quick pause, a pause that refreshes, and then we'll be back and I'll persist with my thought and see if it's anything there that should be explored further. We have Dr. Irina Scott, Gene Steinberg, Kurt Collins, you're in. The
2: Paracast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN.
1: Once again, that's TechNightOwl.com slash host.
2: You have been lied to, generation after generation, time after time after time. If you follow the money, then you understand why America's in the condition of sin. You,
17: know, you created the Star Reserve in
22: 1913 through lies. You create 9-11, through 9-11, you, then you're fighting a war on terror, and now all of a sudden you go into Iraq, which was another lie. This book will open people's
10: eyes. throw it now at yeah, KillingUncleSamBook.com.
20: KillingUncleSamBook.com. This is Micah
0: Hanks of the Gray Alien Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: So we have those commercials for these places that do DNA testing, like 23andMe. And maybe the little feature, a little shtick they can do here is we will also test your DNA to see if you're an alien hybrid or something. (laughs)
3: But, I mean, there might be something in common in different people. I mean, 23andMe wouldn't do it, but maybe a ufologist could see if there's common ancestors among people where it runs in the family to see UFOs. It'd take a lot of expense, though, and nobody's spending UFO study. That's the main reason there's no studies. Been.
1: Well, if you sell it as a mass market product, you know, one test is always going to be expensive. But if you can sell a million, mm-hmm. just thinking. We should call some doctors and some DNA specialists and get some venture capital. I'm kidding.
2: Well, it is interesting, though. And it's not the first time that, that it's been suggested that we study the witnesses instead of the UFOs. And there, were, there was something recently from the uh, Pentagon study, uh, somebody from the Big, big Lower Aerospace Studies had apparently at the Skinwalker Ranch, they were testing the guards to see what sort of effect the experiences had, you know, what what markers that may have left on them. So, you know, that, that may be a significant portion of the research in the future. You know, I, I don't I feel uncomfortable about suggesting that humans be used as guinea pigs for UFO research, but maybe that's the I don't suppose you want to subject them to it, but if they have been exposed, then you test them to make sure and see what points there are in common.
3: Well, I think that would be a good idea because now all they study is the size and shape and brightness of the UFOs. Well, they need to study the people, too, and they need questionnaires such as, have you seen one UFO? Have you seen many? At what um, ages did this happen? Do your family members see it? And things like that, because the experiencers need to be studied just as much as the UFOs do, I think. And nobody's, I mean, Kathleen Martin is doing some, but I don't think there's too many studies on it.
1: I think we should probe that next time we have her on the show. She comes on every year or so, so we always have a good time talking with her. So where do you intend to go from here? You've got this book, that's what, the second book you did for Philip Mantle. What do you have for number three?
3: I don't know. I have more material that's more like the first book instead of this one. Some things about Dr. Heineck and some other things about Mattel studies and things that I might look at, but I'm not sure. So I haven't, I haven't started on anything else right now.
1: You're recovering from this one first. Yeah. Getting over the PTSD. Effect.
3: Yeah.
1: I used to write assembly line books on consumer electronics, personal computers, stuff like that. And the issue there was I had no time because you'd do a 1,000-page book and you'd have maybe six, eight weeks to do it. It's not like you're researching. It's like, you know, part one, click on the finder, part two, you know, things like that. It's You don't want to know. This is not the kind of book writing you'd want to do. It was okay. I actually spent a couple of years there where I had some Books that what they call earned out is you know or made decent royalties. I was
2: shocked. I have a tangent on, on book production. So so for years you, apparently you were the uh, you helped edit the uh, the Mufon Symposium booklets. So I, I was wondering, did, were you part of selecting the speakers? And and or really, what I wanted to know is, are there any interesting stories about the rejects?
3: No, I just. I was the director of publications. I just edited what they had already selected uh, the writings that went into the Nucon of proceedings.
2: I've often wondered how uh, I, I have some of those, and uh, I wondered how many people stuck to the script. Did they deliver the lecture as it was printed, or was there a lot of ad-libbing and different material?
3: I think it just depended, some people said that they weren't going to uh, stick to their script and this is their script and they're going to say something else, but then lots of people more or less um, stuck to their script. So I think most people more or less uh, stuck to their script.
1: Care to mention who Lad lives a lot?
3: Uh, Harley said that he was starting out with a script and he was not going to say what (laughs) You'd written down. <laughs> what
1: I used to do when I do lectures, I only did a few, is I'd have like index cards
16: mm-hmm. and I'd
1: lay out the subjects. Then I'd put down the index cards and then an hour later I'd look at them and say, well, I guess I should have gotten to this subject. <laughs> so I wasn't disciplined enough for that. And I could be pretty disciplined, but after I got comfortable at it, I thought it flowed better if I just talked.
3: Yeah, I just think it depends on, uh, and also their experience in speaking, and I suppose after a while you get used to saying the same thing and you can think of variations and think of humorous things to add to it and things like that. So I suppose a more experienced speaker probably sticks less to the script than somebody that's beginning.
1: Also, I think if you're not a real professional lecturer if you read a script it sounds stilted but if you just talk it sounds more authentic because people say oh he's just talking at me he's not reading off a script that depends on the person some people just do wonderful jobs at reading scripts others brings, it's, pardon
2: oh i'm sorry i was going to say that that brings up another issue about we have a. a some of the most talented people as researchers are not necessarily good orators. So they they may have you know some brilliant notion on UFO propulsion or, or some topic like that, but they're not good at expressing it. So you know it's and and some of the showmen they get the they hog the stage.
3: Yeah, that's the trouble. The people that are better at speaking aren't necessarily the investigator types, but the people that are good at speaking get a lot more attention than an investigator who can't do public speaking very well.
2: I can think of a few examples on, on both of those, but I don't, that might be unkind to
1: say. And then they can hate you online instead of me. You see, so I should encourage you to do that next time you're on. No, I don't want him to do that. He's laughing because he doesn't know how serious I am. <laughs> right. Okay. Very good. Dr. Iverina Scott, can you tell our listeners if they want more information about the things you do, is there a site they can check out?
3: They can check out my Facebook site. And even if they don't belong to Facebook, they can ask people questions. I have a website that's called irenascott.com. And I think they can probably contact my publisher. But I think Facebook's probably the best way to get in contact with me.
1: And remember, on Facebook, they're watching you. Peekaboo! they're watching you. That's a song lyric from the fifties, by the way. Peekaboo, I'm watching you. Yes. You remember that? No. We get into pop culture here, and let's see. Trying to see if I can find the song. Who sang it?
3: Well, that song sang of the. Be
1: the Cadillacs, I think.
3: Oh. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: If you remember them. (laughs) I'm just gonna look very quickly. Peekaboo by the Cadillacs. The lyrics were. Uh, here we go. When you come home from the dance, stand in the halls and make romance. When you do the thing you shouldn't do, peekaboo, I'm watching you. Okay, it's kind of a teenage kind of song. Sounds like it. Look in the dark, you see my face. Ah, don't try to hide, I'm every place. Very cool, kind of sweet. I'm going to give you a hot feet. I want to do that. Kurt, where can we find more of your stuff? Blueblurrylines.com and The Saucers That Time Forgot. And Jimmosley.com. That's right. Hey, don't forget that one. Okay, you can find us on Twitter. Look for The PowerCast. Look for two PowerCast fan clubs on Facebook. Look for After The PowerCast, our second radio show, only available to members of The PowerCast Plus at plus.thepowercast.com. We offer a version of the show free of the network ads. Prices start at just $1.49 a week. But if you go for five years, we're lifetime subscriptions free stuff, check it out plus.theparacast.com Thanks Kurt for sitting in as guest co-host, Irena Scott thank you for joining us on The Powercast.
3: Thank you very much for having me it was a great interview
0: The Paracast